At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. so good to be with you this morning. We're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go to Luke chapter 4. So great to be here. I've been here a couple of times before, but just to visit, uh, not to preach. So it's an honor to be able to uh, bring the word to you. Thank you, Ryan, for leading us in worship. That was wonderful. Uh, as uh, Tyler mentioned, yes, Jeff, uh, Jeff is at uh, Royal Oak right now. So um, I, uh, I got off easy because... Um, they have, we have three services over there, so, uh, but he's a marathon runner, so he'll be fine, right? So just pray for a strong voice for him three times today. Uh, Jeff is a great friend, you know, since he came to Woodside uh, five years ago almost. Uh, you know, I've, I've known him uh, all this time. I've worked very closely with him. You know, we have uh, the 15 campuses divided in four different hubs, and so uh, Jeff and I uh, serve in the same hub, which is, just gives us a chance to interact quite a bit. And you have a wonderful pastor. Really, yes, uh, that's right. You know, pray for him and Sarah and the girls. Uh, they're just a wonderful family. Uh, but he truly is a, uh, just a, a wonderful, humble uh, follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, such an honor to work alongside him. Okay, we are in Luke chapter 4. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We have such a joyful text before us. Would you prepare us to receive it with joy, to experience joy, to enter into your joy? Father, even when life is hard and we must be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, we realize that it's only by your power, by your grace, that we are able to still be full of joy. Even when life is hard, and life is hard, God. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you, as we sang, for being all around us, above us, below us, behind us, in front of us, Lord. In every way, you cover us. Spirit of God, come. Remove all distractions, physical, internal, that would hinder our ability to commune with you by means of your word now. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, that is Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. 
Now, we come to the end of our short three-week series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. There's a cultural shorthand phrase for an elusive state of being that we all seem to want, but few of us ever achieve. I'm talking about work-life balance. Work-life balance refers to the energy and time that goes into work and the rest of life, such as your family and hobbies and exercise. The idea is that in our culture, work can become uh, all-consuming, and no one would bat an eye. Putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week is expected in many fields and companies, especially as your experience, responsibility, and pay go up. If you want to be successful, you must sell yourself. The best of your time, the best of your energy must go to work. Now, work-life balance advocates who try to look at life more holistically, look at that picture and say, if that's what it takes to be successful in America, then the cost is too high. Are we living to work or working to live? Which is it? Is the tail wagging the dog? You see, there are more important things in life than financial and material success, professional success. Things like meaningful time and conversation with friends, investing into our children, supporting and enjoying our spouse, doing things for others. These things take time and energy. And then there are things like hobbies, running or enjoying nature or doing these kinds of things. You know, just giving rest to your minds, to your bodies. You know, as much as we've grown to depend on and admire computers and computing powers, power, humans are not machines. Humans are not machines. It's because we treat our bodies like machines that so many are so unhealthy. High anxiety, high depression, high burnout rates. There must be a better way. And in fact, there is. In the gospel, we're invited into a totally different mode of existence. Yes, you know, work-life balance is better than the imbalance of all work and no life. But in the Christian way of life, the goal is not to divvy up all the hours of your week among the things that are work-related and life-related. No, the goal is to work from rest to love from rest, to do from rest. The goal is for us to stop striving and stop our restlessness and to rest in God. That's the goal, rest in God. And when we rest in God, everything about our lives will function as it should. Work, relationships, other activities and priorities will be healing and uplifting to us rather than polluting and dehumanizing to our souls and persons. And that's what this whole series has been about. It's about the habits, the habits that enable us to rest in God. Historically, they've been called the spiritual disciplines. You may be familiar with that term, spiritual disciplines. They are things that we do Hence, discipline that God empowers. Hence, spiritual. Spiritual disciplines. The doing comes from us. The transformative power comes from God. And so in these three weeks, we've looked at three of them. But there are many more. 
Uh, and so we're developing a curriculum uh, here at Woodside for our live groups so that in your live groups, if you so choose, you may go in depth and study more of these disciplines, more of these habits, things like praying scripture, fasting, scripture study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, guidance, celebration, Sabbath, and generosity. So we're working on this curriculum. It should be available to you as a group um, in the fall. Very excited about that. And so two weeks ago, you guys looked at the spiritual discipline, the habit of simplicity, right? And then last week, Jeff spoke on confession, the discipline of confession. Well, today we're going to look at the discipline, the spiritual discipline of celebration, celebration. And I'm so excited to be able to share this word with you. Celebration is joy personified, right? Joy personified. Think about this. You know, um, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. And when you, um, when we celebrate, we are personifying the attribute of joy. I mean, have you ever seen a four-year-old child giggling uncontrollably. Have you ever seen this? You know, last month when we did kids camp, um, we saw that all week long. Just little children giggling uncontrollably. And when you see that, you go, that's pure joy. Right? That's what we're after in the spiritual habit of celebration. Let me give you a definition. Celebration is a spiritual practice by which we enjoy and praise God's favor to us in Christ and in all good gifts through specific activities or festivities. So celebration is a, uh, a spiritual practice by which we enjoy and praise God's favor to us in Christ, but also in all good gifts through specific activities and festivities. So for example, Thanksgiving is a celebration of God's gift of food. A wedding is a celebration of the gift of marriage. A birthday is a celebration of the gift of life. Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But we don't have to wait for significant events to celebrate. No, you can celebrate all kinds of things. You can celebrate a job promotion. You can celebrate conquered sin. You can celebrate a devoted friend. Uh, la uh, yeah, last week, uh, one of the members of our congregation threw a party for his wife's 30th birthday, and he went all out. He spent a long time planning this. He was so excited about this. But as he was sharing with me, when he was planning, he said, you know, I I I'm doing this because I want to give the gift, yes, this gift to my wife, but also to all of us who will be in attendance, and it was wonderful. That's what we're after. We're after all of us making celebration a lifestyle, a part of your life. And ask yourself, how much do you celebrate? How much does celebration figure in your life? It's a gift from God, and it's for our good. And that's what we're after. That's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, we're going to see that celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. So, we're going to look in the ministry of Jesus at the reason for celebration, some examples of celebration in his ministry, and then a lifestyle of celebration. Let's start with the first, the reason for celebration. Read with me once again Luke 4. 
verse 17. Scripture says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This passage is significant because it marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry as narrated by Luke. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And when he stands up to read the scriptures, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. They had different scrolls for different books of the Old Testament. And when he has Isaiah, he unrolls it, and he finds the place where this text is written. This text is pointed for our purposes for three reasons. First, the Messiah's mission is good news. Look at how what the Messiah, the, the, the anointed one of God, is here to do. His mission is framed all in, um, he has the, the, the Spirit of God upon him, an anointing from God for a purpose. What is that purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the, the favor of God. So do you see that this mission that the Messiah has given is good news? Second, the Messiah's mission is for the destitute. The Messiah comes with a message for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the captives. Those who are on the margins of society and neglected find themselves at, as the target of the Messiah's good mission. And third, the Messiah's mission is surprisingly favorable. Surprisingly favorable. Now, you will see that the last line that Jesus reads from the Isaiah scroll says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see that there, right? Well, many have noted that in the scroll of Isaiah, the very next line says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, think about this. Jesus read from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 61 for us. And he came all the way up to and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped there. He did not read and the day of vengeance of our God. It's amazing. As he is framing what his whole ministry is going to be about, he frames it all in terms of good news, of liberty, of release, of, of favor, of God's favor. Now, don't misunderstand, Jesus did come to fulfill all of God's promises and warnings, but he fulfills them differently. He brings the year of the Lord's favor upon all the nations, but he brings the day of the vengeance of our God upon himself. God's righteous vengeance for all human wrongdoing fell on Jesus on the cross. This is so important that to us, he brings the year of the Lord's favor to himself. Upon himself, he brings the day of vengeance of our God. Well, after he finishes reading from Isaiah, which anyone else in the synagogue that day could have done, 
although not with the foreknowledge to stop short of the sentence on vengeance. He then says what no one else that day could have said. He rolls back the scroll, hands it to the attendant, and sits down. And the eyes of everyone are fixed on him. And then he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus brings the long-awaited favor of God to humanity. He begins a reversal of poverty and blindness and oppression and replaces it with the fullness of God and light and freedom. He ushers in a new age. Those words that he read from Isaiah actually borrow from the year of Jubilee that was announced in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee was a year of release after seven cycles of seven years. So seven times seven, 49 on the 50th year, God wanted Israel to have a year of jubilee, which would be a year of release, release from debt, release of slaves, release of land back to its original owners. Could you imagine the joy? Just having all your debts canceled? Joy. It's why Jesus emphasizes liberty. I think of the picture that we've, I'm sure we've seen in many shows and, and movies when someone's been in jail and it's been oppressive, but then they're finally released and they're outside, just outside of the prison. So the prison bars are behind them. The world is ahead of them. No more oppression. No more captivity. Freedom. That's the overture of the ministry of Christ. And then he sets out to do that very thing, to heal the sick, to restore sight to the blind, to feed the poor, to teach the oppressed minds of his people. And the result is joy. The accent is on the joy that his very presence brings. It's why the angel says to the shepherds when he's announcing the birth of Christ, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Isn't it wonderful? And so now that we've looked a little bit at the flavor, the character of what the ministry of Jesus will be about, let's look at how that ministry unfolds and how much celebration is a part of it. Because remember what we're after. We're after making celebration a lifestyle. Is celebration a lifestyle in your life? If anyone was to look at your life, just your life in a year, would they see, man, this person just celebrates. They're constantly finding reasons to celebrate. Is that what they would say? When Christ looks at your life, because of the good news that he's brought to you, would he say, wow, your life is just full of celebration. Yes, this is what I came to offer to you. That's what we're after. So let's look at some examples of celebration. Luke 5. So Jesus calls Levi to follow him. And as soon as Levi comes and starts following him, he throws a party for Christ, a celebration. So in Luke 5, verse 29, we read, And Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So when Jesus calls Levi, Levi throws him a feast, a celebration. So who throws the party? Levi. Who's it for? 
Well, it's for Jesus, but there were also many. It says a great company of uh, other tax collectors that were friends of Levi. They're in attendance. And what's the occasion? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly, but just the fact that Jesus has come into Levi's life is reason enough to celebrate. So if Christ has come into your life, throw a party and invite a bunch of your friends, many of them that don't know Christ. It will bless them and you. Well, as this party is taking place, as usual in the gospel, some of the Pharisees are not happy. They don't like this. They don't like what's going on. They don't like that Jesus is fraternizing with, uh, with, with tax collectors and sinners. But they also don't like, they take issue with the fact that Jesus' disciples do not fast. So they come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, John the Baptist's disciples fast. We have disciples and they fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And here's what Jesus says to them in Luke 5, 34. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What does that mean? Jesus casts himself as a bridegroom and his disciples as guests at a wedding feast. So what's he saying? What he's saying to the Pharisees is, you can't fast at a wedding. You can't fast at a wedding. I mean, just think of how out of place that would be. Have you ever been invited to a wedding? Raise your hand if you've been invited. Okay, yes. You go to a wedding, and the bride and the groom are there, and they spare no expense, and people are dancing and singing, and there's lots of food, and you're sitting down there, and they bring you your plate. And I mean, it's like the, the beef or the chicken, sometimes they give you both, and you're like, whoa, whoa, right? And the mashed potatoes, and the nice side of vegetables, right? And they serve that to you, and they bring it to you, and you say, uh, no, thank you. I am fasting today. <laughs> what a downer. What a, like, who are you? What are you doing at this party? Listen to me. If someone ever invites you to their wedding, you better stuff your face. Okay? Yes, it's a wedding. It's no time to fast. There will be a time for that. Jesus says so. He says, hey, there's a time when the bridegroom is going to be taken from them. Then they will fast, which is now, right? Our bridegroom has been taken from us. So now we fast, which is why fasting is also a spiritual discipline but not at that time. But here's what I want you to remember, that as Jesus is, is, is describing his ministry, as he's proclaiming freedom and God's favor, he cast it in terms of a wedding feast. And what's a wedding feast? A celebration. Okay, two more examples. In chapter 7 of Luke, Jesus is speaking to the crowds about John the Baptist, and here's what he says. Chapter 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Okay, so Jesus is making a larger point about the obstinacy, the pride in the people who are not responding to God's message. They did not listen to John, and they're not listening to Jesus. And Jesus says it has nothing to do with their style. Their style was very different. But here's what I want you to I want us to pay attention to how Jesus describes himself and how people respond to him because of it. 
So here's what he says. John the Baptist came eating no bread, drinking no wine. So John's message and lifestyle was closer to attending a funeral. Jesus, on the other hand, came eating and drinking, and so his message and lifestyle were closer to attending a wedding feast. So much so that his opponents, the ones who didn't like him, called him a glutton and a drunkard. This is what they're calling the Lord. It's not that he was those things. Uh-uh. They're mischaracterizing him, but there must have been enough joy and merriment in his lifestyle, in his life, for the charge at least to be plausible. They would have never charged John with being a drunkard or a glutton. He's out in the desert eating bugs, right? But why is Christ's ministry characterized as a celebration? Because he came to bring the year of the Lord's favor to us. Okay, finally, if you go to Luke chapter 15, we have three famous parables. The, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Well, the shepherd loses a, a sheep out of a hundred. And so he goes and looks for that sheep. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he calls his friends and neighbors. And in Luke 15, verse 6, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. What's the shepherd doing? He's celebrating. Then we have the lost coin. A woman lost a coin out of 10. And so she turns on the lamp. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently until she finds the coin. And when she finds it, she, I mean, this is like rent, right? She calls her friends and neighbors together. And in verse 9, she says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. What's the woman doing? She's celebrating. And then we have the father who lost his son out of two. Although really, both sons were lost. But we know that one son leaves the father with the inheritance, and starts spending it all, destroying his life. But then he comes to his senses, and he comes back to the father, and the father sees him a long way off, and he runs toward the son, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, and he covers him with the finest of robes, and he throws a party. He throws a party. Look at Luke 15, 22. Here's what the father says. Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and what? Celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Guys, through these three parables in Luke 15, Jesus is showing us that when someone is far from God, they are lost, they are dead. But when they come back to God in repentance, they come to God through Christ, it's reason to celebrate. But he's showing us more than that. He's showing us that the flavor of life for someone who's come to know God by, through Christ should be one of celebration. One of great celebration because God is on a rescue mission. God is in the business of seeking after human hearts that are far from him. And when they turn to God in repentance, it's a reason to rejoice and celebrate. God has made a way for rule keepers and rule breakers to rest in God. No one should come to God on the basis of their perceived merits. 
And also, no one should stay away from God on the basis of their perpetual failures. No, the Son of God has come to bring upon himself the day of God's vengeance so that he can offer to us the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't that wonderful? We come to God by Christ. We come to God by means of Christ. Jesus became poor so that he could proclaim good news to the poor. He became captive and oppressed so that he could proclaim release to the captives. We can stop striving. We can stop our restlessness. We can rest in God. We can rest in his word. We can rest in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we receive with great joy this new age of God's favor that Christ has brought to fulfillment. We celebrate. And so in light of some of these examples, and there's more, but in light of these, let me give you, let me leave you with three implications for our lives as it relates to celebration in light of the good news of Christ. So a lifestyle of celebration. I'm going to leave you with three things. First, celebrate the end of sin's oppression and the victory of our God. We said that celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Listen, the Christian life doesn't end with a question mark. As if we were always seeking and but never finding. As if we were in doubt as to our eternal purpose and destiny. Far from it, an exclamation mark is far more fitting because sin has been conquered. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God so that he could drench us, and I mean drench us, in the favor of God. Do you live with like a little drizzle? With like a drop here and there? of the favor of God in your life? That's not what Christ came to do. He came to shower us with the favor of God. Jesus, by his death, has released us from sin's oppression. We are slaves no more. When God took Israel out of Egypt by a mighty hand, following 400 years of slavery with the Red Sea, engulfing their former Egyptian masters, sinking their chariots and horses, the first thing that Moses and the people of Israel do on the other side of the sea was celebrate. This is in Exodus 15. They sang, they danced, they sang the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. After generations of oppression, at the hands of Pharaoh and his officers, little Hebrew children murdered, women abused, men cruelly treated and killed. Israel finally celebrates Egypt's demise. Church, for us, we celebrate the fact that the Messiah has come and he has come and proclaimed freedom to us. But not just that, he hasn't just proclaimed it. He went on that cross to take sin down with him. 
That's what he did. The prophet Micah prophesied about this in chapter 7. He says, the Lord will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what Micah foresaw. Do you celebrate this victory? Does your life have a flavor of celebration because your biggest foe, sin, has been cast into the sea, never to be seen or remembered anymore? We live in an age of apathy, of anxiety, of melancholy, of fear. We're surrounded. We have access to hard news from around the world in every field, on every malady plaguing humankind. And if we're not careful, you guys, listen, if we're not careful, our lives and our hearts, our minds will be taken up, will be ruled by the cares of this world. Which is why celebration is so important. Because when we celebrate, we say that we are the Messiah's people and we embrace his good news of deliverance. Let me ask you, do you live in the good of the favor of God? Do you live in the year of the Lord's favor? Do you live in the year of release? Release from pride. Release from lust. Release from fear. Release from making life about us. It's so oppressive when we make life all about us. We've been released from that. Do you live in the year of release? Listen, when we celebrate, we're not denying the human plight. No, we're affirming the divine victory. So celebrate the end of sins, oppression, and the victory of our God. Amen? Next, celebrate God's greatness with God's people. Celebrate God's greatness with God's people. The main event for the people of God, the main event of celebration for the people of God is the Sunday gathering. This thing right here. It's why you have a picnic afterwards today. So good. Come to the picnic. There is no higher point. The high point in the Christian life by far is when we come together as God's people every Sunday because we come to celebrate the triumph of God's word. As we sing it, as we pray it, as we preach it, as we eat it in communion, as we watch it in baptism. That's what we come to do. And when we come to celebrate the triumph of God's word, we come with great shouts of praise. We have 54 occasions to celebrate a year. 52 Sundays, and we have Good Friday and Christmas Eve. 54. So your goal, listen to me, your goal should be that you're not going to miss one of them. Not one. That, that you, listen, the church, the people of God are gathering. I'm there. You have a contagious illness, stay home. <laughs> Otherwise, you better be here. You want to be here because it's one of the 54 occasions that we have as the body of Christ to come together and celebrate. And like I said, when we come together, oh, we better be singing with shouts of praise. Have you noticed that when children are happy, they're noisy? Have you noticed this? Parents, you know this. As the kids get excited, the noise level goes up. Listen, we're the children of God. How excited are we? Well, let's show him. 
not only how we sing this last song, but just in our lives. When children are happy, they're noisy. You know, I feel bad because my wife and I are often telling our children, we have four children, but we're often in the house telling them, hey, keep it down over there. Do you ever do this, parents? You know, you're like, you're trying to like have a nice, nice of, uh, a night of quiet, and, and then the kids start being loud. It's like, hey, keep it down. You know, in my house, things can get loud because our children, they love to play the piano and the ukulele, and we have a drummer. We have a drummer in the house, and the drummer doesn't just play the drums. Uh-uh. He taps with his foot. He claps with his hands. He clicks with his mouth. He can break into rhythm anywhere in the house, any time of the day. I'm not joking. It's like, uh, oh, man, okay, here we go. It's great. But here's the thing. Here's what he or the rest of the children have never done. They've never made a loud, joyful noise when they're sad or when they're angry. Mm -mm. Lots of noise comes from joy. And that's what we do as the people of God when we come together to celebrate his greatness. We come to celebrate his kingship. The fact that he's conquered evil and sin and death forever. And when we come, we come with great shouts of joy. We, are, we have permission from Scripture to do this. You know this, right? Psalm 150. It's right there. We have permission. In fact, we're commanded to do this. Psalm 150 is the last of the Psalms. It's how Israel's psalm book ends. That should tell you something of how God wants to be praised. Let me read it to you. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Do you know how loud trumpets are? We should have asked Ryan to get some trumpets going here today. Just so we could just raise the decibels here. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. As if we needed help understanding that clashing cymbals are loud. But he says it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sometimes when we're worshiping in my congregation, we're singing. And sometimes I like to not sing so that I can hear the congregation singing. And when they're singing with all their heart, it's my favorite sound in the world. I could die right then and there. We have these four brothers in the congregation, Josh, Ian, Matt, and shoot, Mark. And they sit somewhere toward the front. They usually sit together. They're good friends. And they are loud when they're singing. They sing with all their hearts. They're wholly present, and it's a sight to behold. Listen, celebrate God's greatness with God's people. And finally, celebrate often. Celebrate often. The 54 
occasions when the body of Christ comes together are not our only opportunities to celebrate. Uh Uh-uh. We can celebrate much more. Some of our celebrations will be related to the national calendar because God has bestowed great grace on our nation. So whether it's July 4th or Labor Day or Thanksgiving, celebrate. Some of our celebrations will be related to personal accomplishments going on in 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 your family, your friend group. You celebrate them. Some of our celebrations have to do with what God is doing in the church family because there are amazing things that God is doing in the body of Christ. A couple of months back, we wanted to celebrate as a family um, the baptism of a young man in the church. His name is Julian. And so we invited Julian over for dinner, and we invited one of Julian's friends, who's also our friend, Scott. So Julian and Scott came over for an evening, and it was a blast. Julian is from France. And so my daughter spent the day uh, making this French dish called coquevin, which is chicken and wine. And uh, it's just this nice comfort food French dish, and it came out so good. I mean, the meat was so tender. And then Julian shared with us the testimony of God's grace in his life, what he's been doing in his life. And we were all like, It's amazing. And Julian himself brought some apple crumble for dessert, and it was fantastic. And then later that evening, Scott um, taught us all how to make Italian pasta from scratch. He brought all the ingredients. He brought the little machine. And so, man, we started making our dough and cracking the eggs, and he's showing us how to do this. And it was messy on the table. And then we rolled the dough through that press, and it was so much fun. The sheet of uh, pasta just kept getting larger and larger, and people were, like, holding this thing. And we cut the pasta, and Scott made this simple sauce with sage and lemon and fresh Parmesan cheese. The night was delightful. And leisurely, we lingered. We so enjoyed each other's presence and conversation and the grace of God at work in our midst and God's good gift of food. It was celebration at its best. And it was simple. But we all have many occasions to celebrate like this. So find reasons to celebrate and celebrate often. Listen, the Lord Jesus came to bring the year of the Lord's favor. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you to do that today. What are you waiting for? There's a party waiting for you. Come in. Come into the family. Come into the celebration. But if you have trusted in Christ, then your life should, should have the flavor of celebration because the favor of God is on you for all eternity. So spend your time, spend your money, spend it with God's people and invite those you know who don't know Christ. Celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks. For this series, Lord, for your word, which is so rich, these habits that you've given us as gifts, these spiritual habits that allow us to be transformed by your grace. The doing comes from us. The transformative transformative power comes from you. Father, I pray that everyone here would benefit from these habits of simplicity, confession, celebration, and the many others that we're going to make available later in the fall. Father, I pray that all of us would be 
living from rest, that we'd be resting in God, that we'd be resting in you, O Lord. Father, we love you. We ask you to help us live in the year of release, the year of the Lord's favor, that no one here would be enslaved to, to fear or to lust or to pride or to selfishness or to being self-seeking and making life about them. No, Father, that each one of us would know how much you love us and how you've come to proclaim freedom to us. Help us celebrate, even now as we sing. Oh, our King, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.